Hello and welcome to The Stack. Today I speak with Divya Tani, Global Editorial Director for Condé Nast Traveler. We talk travel trends and their new issue. Plus, music curator Armand Nafei on his new superb podcast, Are We On Air? And finally, for a multimedia perspective on this year's Eurovision Song Contest, I spoke to one of the hosts, Italian presenter Alessandro Catellan. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We start the show talking travel. It's been a year since I spoke with Divya Tani, Global Editorial Director for Condé Nast Traveler. The travel industry had two very difficult years, but the situation is settling down a bit with COVID. But how much did it change the way you travel? For that, and also, more about their new hot list edition. Here is Divya with more. I think there's a wave of optimism, really. Everyone is so excited to be back and to be able to make all of these trips that they've been planning in their heads and mentally, you know, sort of thinking about and obsessing about for so long. I think the pandemic really, really took a toll on people in that sense where they absolutely realized, I think, the value of travel in their lives. And so I think now they're really trying to make up for lost time and uh, they're thinking really hard about where they want to go. And it's 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 amazing. It's fantastic. It's so good to be back. And, you know, everywhere I've been so far, people are so happy just to be back out. And there's a real feeling of of not just optimism, but I think also just a lot of gratitude to be able to be back and do all the things that they love and meet all the people that they haven't been able to see. So it's a great feeling. Well, and I think your job and your magazine as well, it's almost uh, as a public service for this industry that, as you said, suffered quite a lot as well during the COVID era. Uh, so tell us about the hot list, because I think the hot list, again, it is a, w a way of showing new hotels, new restaurants, new destinations, everything that is new and exciting, right? And this year has kind of a special touch because there's been quite a lot of collaboration between the international editions, right? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think it's special, Fernando. You're so right. It's special, I, I would guess, for many reasons, but two of them that I think are, are so important. The first is that... Like you said, the industry, the travel industry, the hospitality industry suffered so much in these past two years. Really, when travel came to, you know, we say a pause, but in many parts of the world, it came to a complete stop. And the fact that you have now all of these amazing hotels popping up all over the world, that despite everything that has happened and how horrible things were for so many people, that people didn't give up on their dreams. They continued building these amazing places. They, con they continued to really pursue their passions and really think about, you know, think beyond the present time and think about what they were hoping to create and the experiences they were hoping other people would have. And it's a really beautiful feeling to see it all come together and to see all of these real labors of love and passion and energy, because building a hotel is not an easy thing to do. And it takes years. And to see that people have really fought through all of that difficult, dark time and come out now and they're open and they're running, it's amazing. It really is a fantastic feeling. So it's special for that. And like you said, it's special also because it's the first time for us that all of the editors of Traveler around the world, we have seven editions, as you know, spread out across the world, 
from China, India, the Middle East, to Europe, to the UK, to the US. We really are spread out across the globe. And all of our editors from everywhere came together and did the scouting and the selection and the naming of all of these all of these winners on the hot list. And so it really was a complete collaboration across many time zones and several weeks. And it was really lovely to see because you know you're working with all of these teams everywhere and everyone is so passionate about what is happening in their part of the world. And they have so much context and really such great insight and anecdotes around the building of these hotels because they're so close to them on the ground there that it really brought a tremendous amount of just richness and depth, I think, to this list. So in addition to the hotels, we actually have widened the lens. So we have not just a hot list of, of hotels, but also restaurants, cruises, you know, transportation, just what's happening on the cultural scene, you know, some great museums. And so the list is really wider in that sense. And, and that makes it even more exciting than the normal. And I'm, I'm glad that this has been expanded as well, because, of course, hotels are super important. But, for example, in the new issue, I was reading uh, the UK edition for Hot List as well. There's this trend of Amapiano music in South Africa, which I'm a little mm-hmm. bit obsessed about it. And th- to be honest, that makes me want to travel to South Africa, you know, to experience kind of this exciting uh, music genre in a way. So I think that was a good way to expand that Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. And you're so right. You know, travel is is not just about where you go you know travel is about music and art and food and culture and dance and and it's wellness and and the environment and wildlife and so many different things are all under this wide umbrella that we call travel so it really does depend on what you're passionate about and really that should be the driving force for you wherever you want to go in the world, there is something exciting happening in the space that you're interested in. So there's so many different ways of, of getting into travel and choosing where you want to go. So I understand why people look at Condé Nast Traveler because it is very confusing out there. There's a lot of different choices. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. But and, and tell us about, you know, even from your readers in the last two years, do you think they are changing the way they travel as well? Or do you think perhaps after two years, people are saying, you know what, we would travel the same way because there's been this appetite. But did you notice any changes? Completely. The changes have been massive, to be honest. I will say that some of the things that we started to see a little bit of before the pandemic have really just completely burst wide open and have really become massive trends because of the pandemic. So we used to see sort of the beginnings of this before, but they really, I think the, the, the pandemic really just amplified these trends. So if you look, for example, one of the big trends that we're seeing is, you know, on wellness and spirituality and people really taking time out of their lives to make a trip that they felt was going to be transformational for them for their lives. And, you know, I don't know if it had to do with maybe thinking a little bit about the fragility of life, you know, and maybe just an overall sense of attachment to something greater. But there's so much more interest now in wellness travel or in just adding a sort of wellness experience to your trip. And people are traveling, you know, to spiritual landmarks or religious sites as a way of connecting with the destination that they haven't haven't really done before. Another thing that we're seeing a lot of in the wellness space is that you know, it's gone from being about a boot camp or about something that's going to make you lose weight or detox a little bit 
people are really looking at mental health in a big way. And a lot of people realized that travel for them was a form of therapy. And that by traveling, they were really able to, you know, feel so much better and, and escape their lives and really center and ground themselves in a big way. And when they didn't have that, they realized the value and the power of travel. And so when they're looking at destinations now, they're looking at, at wellness and spirituality in a way that is so much more pronounced. They're really being very articulate about what they're looking for. You know, they, they don't just want to what we call the fly and stop vacation where they used to just sort of land on a beach and do nothing. Now they, they really know what they're looking for. You know, they'll come and they say, listen, we want a beach, but we also want to make sure that wherever we're going, we can do yoga, we can have some sports, we can eat really healthy and clean, but it must be delicious as well. And we still want some booze, but we still want to live a little bit more of a healthy lifestyle. So it's really interesting what people are looking for. There's so much more in tune with what they want, which I think is really great. And that's one of the big trends that we're seeing in this post-pandemic phase. Another trend that I would say is really, really coming back in a big way is people really looking for big, wide open spaces and connecting with nature. That's something that they really, really are looking to do in a big way. Digital detoxes are really big, uh, you know, big sort of large green destinations are going to be really, really popular. And then one of the other trends I think that we're seeing as well is this idea of people traveling as multi-generational uh, groups of travelers. So I think people have spent, either they've been distanced and separated from their families and are looking to reconnect, or they've spent a lot of time with their families and have almost gone back to a sort of more community style way of living with their families and now they want to travel with their families as well um, and so we're seeing a lot more family travel and some of it even what we're calling the family sabbatical where parents are realizing that getting their kids away from a classroom and traveling the world if it's done well is actually very educational, perhaps even more educational for their children. And so this is really sort of manifesting in this family sabbatical where they explore a country or a region in real depth and they're learning as they go. And ideally, you know, their kids are getting an understanding of conservation, of sustainability, understanding obviously how other cultures live and think and really opening up their minds to different ways of living and different ecosystems and, and just different, you know, different cultures. And so it's a really, really interesting trend. And we're seeing a lot more of that as well. And not just in the US, but really across the world. It's nice that you mentioned the family travel because I, I agree. And, and it's not just family with kids, even, you know, I'm a bit older, but I kind of have this desire now to travel with my parents because because mm -hmm. of COVID, we couldn't see, especially when they live abroad. So that's super interesting. And, if, uh, you know, a more personal question here. I mean, the summer holidays are coming up. Not necessarily, I'm not sure if you're going, but do you have any tips or is there a place where you're dying to go or perhaps revisit as well? Oh gosh, it's like having to choose a favorite child. Yes. <laughs> But no, for me, I'm in a I'm in a slightly unusual place, I would say, this summer because I moved a few months ago from India to London, where I now live in this new role. And I therefore want to spend my summer in Europe. But I do, I'm I, I'm the same as you. I'm actually very keen to travel with my family. And so I've had my sister and my niece over here to visit. My mom actually arrives next week. And so 
so I'm really excited about exploring Europe with my family. And we're going to some of the places that I've been before, like Le Como, for instance, uh, which I love very much. And I'm taking my mom there because she's never been. We have a wedding to go to in the south of France. We're looking to go to Spain for a little bit. So it's a, it's a lot of just classic Mediterranean European destinations, but the idea of doing them with my family that hasn't spent as much time there as I have to me, I think is just, it's such an amazing opportunity. And I feel really, really grateful that I can do this. I think that, you know, for me, spending time with my family in any circumstance is amazing, but to do it when you're traveling and you're able to take them to a really beautiful, wonderful place and just give them this really authentic experience and immerse them in that and have them forget about everything else to me is just the greatest, the greatest gift that I could possibly give to my family. So I'm really, really excited about it. Fantastic. And for all our listeners who are in doubt, they should get a copy of the Hot List edition, right? Absolutely. Thank you very much for, for saying that. I know that I know that you like it, so it makes me happy when you recommend it. I do like it very much. And and start in the with the cover already. I mean, I mean, so beautiful. And I think, I don't know, two issues ago, perhaps that's the UK. Sorry if I'm, I'm confusing the two, but it was a picture of Brazil as well. Um, it was kind of in black and white. It was a recent one, like two or three editions ago. So it was really beautiful. Yes, yes, it was. It was. And, you know, I actually love that image so much. It's funny you mention it, but I love that image of the cover so much that I've had it blown up and I'm looking at it on my wall at this very Really? Moment. Oh my God, that's amazing. I might copy you on that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I'll, I'll send you a copy. But no, it's a beautiful image and I, I, I'm so proud of all the photography that the team does here because it, it just transports you completely, you know, even on a very dreary and cold and gray, rainy day in London like it is at the moment. It's wonderful to be able to look at these images and just escape to Brazil even if it's only in my head. Thank you very much, Divya. Always a pleasure talking to you. And the new issue of Condanas Traveler is out now. And now to the world of music. I had the pleasure to welcome in our studio music curator Armand Fay. He was the man responsible for the music in André Balash hotels such as Chateau Marmont and Chilton Firehouse so you know he can create the best of the playlists. Now he's the host of a podcast called Are We On Air? with a selection of incredible guests ranging from Dua Lipa to the Queen Amanda Lear. In the podcast, they go through someone's life soundtrack, a must listen. Here is Armand with more. So first of all, yeah, thank you for having me back. I think the last time I was here was in 2015, so it's been a while. And Are We On Air, I started, I launched, I think exactly two years ago, April, was it 2020? Yeah. <laughs> when the pandemics happened, I released the first episode. The idea came in a year before that. And it's basically out of my role. I was the music director for uh, Andre Balage for 10 years, you know, and my main base was or is in Los Angeles. I was at the Chateau Maman as the music director or director d'ambiance, as I call it. <laughs> and... You know, I, over the years, you know, working and DJing and uh, doing what I do, I met a lot of great people and interesting people from all kinds of fields in the cultural world, you know, being in music and art and fashion and design. And uh, obviously the main topic when people speak to me or when I speak to them somehow always goes back to music. And I was like, why don't I just 
you know, record these conversations because I have this beautiful access and these beautiful, intimate, very laissez-faire kind of uh, conversations, very laid back. I'm not a journalist. It's more like an artist-to-artist conversation. And uh, so, yeah, that's where the idea started. And my first interview was literally Patti Smith, <laughs> which wow, yeah, <laughs> which kind of put the level up there. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to follow up with that one. But uh, no, my first four interviews, I mean, she was in the lobby at the Chateau when we were introduced. And I was like, just ask her, would you be up for it? And she was so sweet and cool about it. And um, we did it the same evening. She gave me a call. Hey, you want to do it now? I'm like, yeah. So that's how it started. And um, and yeah, the first four interviews already had I already had them recorded. The other one was Julian Schnabel, which I did uh, in his house in uh, Palazzo Chupi in New York. Then uh, my Belgium brothers, uh, too many DJs, who had a big influence on me, sonically speaking, when I was growing up in Cologne. And and Gia Coppola, you know, young, cool, new Hollywood. So that, that was a beautiful mix, which for me was a great representation of what Are We On Air is or could be. And then when the pandemic happened, I thought, okay, now it's time to release it. There's nothing else to do. And I've been going pretty much weekly-ish since. Yeah. Do you feel that, for example, in a podcast like yours, I mean, you have all those big names. I think for Dan, it must be quite refreshing to talk for, you know, so long and so openly about music, right? Because yeah. you see so many interviews, they want to ask, what's your views on uh, abortion rights or what Biden yeah. said, you know, which is, you know, fair enough. Absolutely. But I think in this context, I think they feel quite comfortable. And perhaps that's why big names like Patti Smith is there or Amanda Lear as yeah. well, which um, we'll get uh, to, yeah. one of our favorites <laughs> here, right? <laughs> When I started singing, everybody knows the story, David Bowie uh, fell in love. Are you and... tired of talking about these subjects? Oh yeah, no problem, but I mean, it is true that nobody believed that I could sing. Uh, I was a fashion model, see, when you're a fashion model, the one thing that the people say is shut up. <laughs> shut up and smile, shut up and be beautiful, but don't talk. <laughs> and. Uh, when I met David Bowie, he said, but this is ridiculous because the one thing that makes you different from all the other girls is that you have a voice, which is interesting. So you should use it. I say, yeah, but I'm a fashion model. You know, I, I pose for photographs and fashion shows. He said, no, 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 you must sing. And he was the very first person who believed that I could do something singing. So he paid for my singing class. He sent me to, to a woman in London called Florence Norberg. She was very tough. She made me go, ah, ha, ha. <laughs> I think the general feedback that I get from our listeners as well is um, it's so great to see or hear these kind of people in a slightly different context and also open up more on a on a more personal way, you know, like a, see a side of them that you wouldn't read in a magazine or would see in a TV interview. But mainly it's not because I'm you know, I'm not gotcha TV, basically, right? Mm. Uh, so it's it's really more like an artist and friendly conversation. And music is a heart opener, you know? We all have emotional memories and connections to music. I, I believe everybody has a soundtrack to their life. And actually, one of my guests in season one was Chris Blackwell, you know, the founder of Island Records, who, you know, pretty much also discovered Bob Marley and so forth. And he's also now in his, I guess, late 80s. And uh, our friend who connected us, when he listened to his episode, he, he was saying to him, after all these years, this was the most personal interview he, he has ever given. And he got, it, got him teary-eyed, you know. And, and I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, it's, it's because when you talk about, like, even someone at his level, when he talks about, I guess, growing up and his father and hearing the episode afterwards with the music, 
it, I always say music or a sound is just like a scent. It can take you straight to a moment, to a place, to a person, you know, and it's, it's a visceral experience. And I remember, uh, I think, your Dua Lipa interview as well, which was, mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it was quite special because I think she released her album very close to the pandemic yeah. as well. And it was quite a disco and upbeat yeah. album. It, it did help me quite a lot, actually, that album. So that was an excellent interview. It was right around that time as well that you spoke to her yeah. about the release. Uh, actually, I just saw Dua in, in Los Angeles again. She, she just did a big arena tour in the U.S., And she actually said also when she had a moment to talk to her fans, mm-hmm. I know you guys, you know, the general feedback to her album was you, you helped me through the pandemic. Because she actually, we met in Los Angeles through her then management, who were friends of mine. And I actually gave her a tour because I was working on this building this little private club at the Chateau with uh, with Andre. And I gave her a tour. It was like, let's do a record release here. And it was very, the space is very disco themed and... Um, And, and she was like, this, is, this would be perfect because her album that she's about to release is very disco-infused. I was like, perfect, you know? And, and that's how it started. And then um, and she was a really, back then, already big, but still somehow an up-and-coming pop star. And we were trying to set an interview since that day, basically, and it took probably a year. But in that year, she just blossomed into this, like, mega star mega. I mean she's the biggest pop star in the world or one of them right now and uh, yeah the timing was perfect I couldn't have planned it better and she's she's very smart she's super sweet and we had a lot of fun yeah well, I, I heard this new term which I fell in love with radical optimism whoa I love that I uh, know radical optimism <laughs> radical that is, optimism that's exactly what we need in the world is radical optimism I love that exactly it's my slogan for 2020 wow I'll radical be Optimism. I'll be fucking taking new, that one. It's a new title. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's such a that's such a great thing to embrace. Totally. So just waving that flag of optimism. And I love your record. I have to say it's Thank it's you. fun. You can you know, I, I when I saw it and I heard it, I was like, mm, let's go dance. <laughs> you know? Like that's what you yes. want. Yes. Great. And I Thank love the, the club Thank the you club so much. Uh, the club remixes. Future you know, Nostalgia like remix. Future. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Moody Man, sick. <laughs> A lot of people are also, well, I am at least now, I'm interested about your music taste. I mean, of course, you're, you were in charge of music, as you say, from Chateau Marmont to Chutan Firehouse and among other places. Do you change a lot your music taste or do you have kind of favorites from your childhood, from your memory or, or, you, or you feel you're still very much an open person? Definitely an open person, but of course I have my personal preferences, right? We all have our DNA in a way. Mm-hmm. But my knowledge, just because I've been doing, I've been DJing since I'm 15 and uh, I was always, everything is, has to be eclectic in my, in my, my world at least. Uh, I like to maybe not know so much in depth about the individual, but yeah, I like yeah. to have an overview in anything mm-hmm. I do. And that also goes with music. And I think just my interest in that kind of set me up to be able to consult a lot of brands and, and places and spaces to kind of you know look at the bigger picture. And I always say to, when, I, when I start a, a project, I was like, Who are you, sonically speaking? You know, brands spend a lot of time and money on on the visual DNA, but not so much on the sonic DNA, which is, uh, I think, a very important and big part of any marketing mix. Yeah. 
I think especially even in the hospitality sector or, or, or in a store, it can make it or break because if it, the music is bad or you don't feel comfortable, it, it will make you leave the space mm -hmm. almost in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Tell us about some of the bands you've been listening or <laughs> something. I mean, kind yeah. of a musical yeah, yeah, touch yeah. to our um, listeners. I mean, I, my personal preference, I mean, what I listen to a lot at home and myself, of course, uh, I'm a big disco person, but a lot of world music. Uh, I'm Persian, Persian-German. So growing up, this duality in me has always kept me open to all these different worlds and genres and I'm very intrigued by it. and I love that global pop is now such a big thing in the mm. world you know and I think technology and social media plays a big role how you hear a certain sound that just gets translated into different languages I mean like Afrobeat being a big popular thing right now a certain rhythm and melody behind that but I love classical uh, you know I uh, come from a very classical household operas a lot And of course, my little Habibi side, <laughs> I love Persian music as well. Uh, and I, I love that these compilations are happening and popping up like Habibi Funk and so forth. It's cool. And there's some great record uh, stores and labels here in London. I love coming back uh, and just to dig a little bit deeper. I'm a big fan of uh, the sound of the universe. Yeah, and, and so oh, I love it. Yeah, It's... yeah. And uh, incredible music you can dig in there. And I love diving into different cultures sonically and That's gotcha. why we need shops like that and people like you as well to, to guide because sometimes even if you're on Spotify Absolutely. online, yeah. it, there is a little bit too much yeah. and, 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 and it can get lost. At least in a shop, you see the cover, you have a more tactile experience. So, I mean, it, it's mm -hmm. not just being nostalgic. It is mm -hmm. the reality, right? One of my recent interviews was with uh, Pedro Winter, Busy P, mm -hmm. you know, founder of Ed Banger Records and who discovered Justice and worked with Daft Punk and so forth. One quote from his interview, and I love that, is music is not something you swipe. And we live in a society right now where we became a streaming society. And it's in a way, it's great, right? It's not genre-defined anymore, mm -hmm. who you are. Like, I remember living even 20, 20 years ago here in London, either we were like you were into indie or electro clash or you know it, you very specific and you looked like it. Mm -hmm. Whereas now let's use Billie Eilish as an example, there's so many different influences. You know, you can see punk, you see emo, you see hip hop, you know, and it, and electronic, it's all infused and mixed. It's because technology. You're able to pick and choose whatever you want. It's whatever in your discovery weekly you like. So it's it, you don't even listen to albums anymore. You know, so I think that is the new way of listening to things, and um, but also the, the curatorial part. Going back to a record store mm -hmm. or someone like me is important because you have access to everything twenty four seven. It can be overwhelming, and it's an algorithm in the end of the day that defines what you're listening to. And I think recently, even Spotify did some change where your Discover Weekly is basically being shown to millions of other people who listen to something similar. So it's not even that unique anymore to mm. you. So I think that's where I love going to good record stores and have a conversation with the person behind the counter because they spend day in and out going through records knowing what they're selling. So it's a very good source to speak with them, <laughs> to dig deeper. I agree. I yeah. agree. I think we should all do that yeah. a bit more. So tell us about some of your other projects, about some of the brands you're working mm -hmm. at this moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had some great clients for a long time. I mean, we mentioned, of course, Andre Balas. We I worked for him pretty much exclusively for the past 10 years. But I've worked with a lot of brands. Uh, Moncler is one of my clients I work with, for instance, for all their retail. Like, it's great to have someone on that level like Remo Ruffini actually taking his time to sit in the space and listen to each track before signing off. That, for me, is a great sign of uh, someone paying attention to this. 
because it is so vital, even if it's just background-ish. It says so much about your brand and the experience and what you're trying to sell or how you want to be subconsciously kind of experienced as, you know. And yeah, it's a make or break. But other brands, um, I recently started to work with um, Scott Malkin, a big developer, owns the Bista collection, a big retail, luxury retail around the world. So that's very exciting to apply this kind of experience and knowledge on such a big scale. I mean, we're talking about the UBS arena in, in New York, all the way to Bista Village here outside of London. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, it's being in, in, in hospitality or hotels or retail, and it doesn't matter what scale. Everybody wants to feel comfortable in a space and feel good about themselves. And my goal is how can I achieve that with the brand DNA, you know? Are there any big no-nos when you come as being a music director? <laughs> I mean, I know you're super open we're talking about mm. it, but is there anything that doesn't really work for in that context? <laughs> you know, music is very subjective. Yes. yes. <laughs> I always use this example. This is when I was still living in New York. There was like a, some Swedish restaurant cafe and we were slightly hangover on a Sunday morning going in there to get some Swedish pancakes or something and they were blasting and this is like 9am 10am out of like a kind of shitty little stereo like Backstreet Boys and I'm like why? <laughs> For who? <laughs> you know has nothing to do with your Swedish DNA it's 10am on a Sunday and it's nothing against the Backstreet Boys but it's so out of place and it completely destroys the experience that you went for. And I think it's important that it's not just some, you know, the floor manager plugging in his favorite music. Again, it's not genre-defined. I was just like, another project I was just working on recently was the Le Sirenuse in, in Positano. And I was like, what are we trying to achieve here? What's the goal, right? And you have such a cinematic view. It's like the ultimate Dolce Vita look, I was like, let's play with that without being cheesy, though. And let's not do the obvious stuff. Let's dig into the Italian uh, masters like Morricone and so forth. And it's a movie here. It's a mise-en-scene. Let me be the music director to the movie scene. So you kind of have to play with what you, you've given. I think that's really important and to really pay attention to that. What's my? What are the visuals that I'm to work with? What's the audience? Or who, who I am I trying to get into my space, you know, who I'm actually trying to kind of push out, you know, who I don't want in here. I think those are valid questions to ask. We actually did a kiosk recently in, in Berlin, a pop-up. You know, it's like uh, either you're like a, have a bakery or a little retail shop or being a news agent. I think it, it all comes down how you want to be perceived as. Because Sonic, just like a sand, is, is like immediate. Before you even read something or sit down or try something on or eat something, you step into that space and already you you get an, an idea. It's a first impression and it's a first touch point. So I think it's uh, important. What do you do with it? No, it's very interesting because if even, for example, selecting music here for Monaco yeah. 24, I don't know, I think the biggest test when you close your eyes, can you hold an, a nice cocktail and mm -hmm. and just feel good about yourself i think that's kind of the yeah <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah. the music can be good but sometimes it might not work in this yeah. context right absolutely i think um also we have to say more slightly more technical things i think the pace and the, and the volume plays mm. a big role as well that's why also are we on air it's it's a soundtrack to your life right and our soundtracks change throughout our lives just like mm. the way our lives change 
but I think in every like even the the pace of a day changes. So I think you, I always use music as it should be like a shadow mm. to you. So wherever you go, it goes with you. It's not here to follow. You, it's not here to drive. Your shadow doesn't tell you where to go. You tell your shadow where to go. And I think that's a great way to visualize how, sonically speaking, how it should uh, progress throughout the day, throughout the space. Mornings are different to lunches and uh, evenings and, and so forth. However, there are also, of course, cases where music is the driver. We're talking about clubs, we're talking about concerts, and that is great. And that's the nucleus of energy which should feed out everywhere else. You know? Thank you very much, Arman. And for more, just go to areweonair.com. And finally on the show, it's Eurovision Week. And this week I've been in Turin, covering Eurovision from Monaco. Always an exciting time. This year, the selected hosts were Italian singer and icon Laura Pausini, Mika, and Alessandro Catalan, a major figure in Italy. He was the host of X Factor Italia, and he currently has his own show on Netflix, talking to people like Italian director Paolo Sorrentino. He's planning to do theater up next. He tells me more about hosting Eurovision this year and his future plans. Alessandro Catalan, what a pleasure talking to you. And Alessandro, you are an icon for Italian TV. So tell us a bit more about this job of being a host at Eurovision. Is it something that comes quite naturally to you? Or are you kind of nervous for the big night? I have to say both, because it is something that comes naturally, because uh, that kind of environment is where I grew up, because I, I used to be host for MTV. Uh, so I'm, I'm used to musical festivals and contests and big stages. And then I, I've been hosting the X Factor Italia for um, 10 years. So another song contest. But this is, of course, the biggest thing I've ever done in terms of viewers. And then I have I'm a need to host in English, which, yes, I can speak. But speak English in front of 2 million viewers, it's something that make like your leg shake 200 million viewers you have good company with laura pausini and mika as well i think have you met them already have you discussed how how is it going to work yeah we are a good team we are a good team i think we are we are balanced uh each one of us has his own personality but we share the same spirit i have to say because we are um, three people who who really love enjoying the moment and that's what we are trying to do right now in Torino. And I was going to say, you have experiences of talking to the big stars. I was looking at a video of you with interviewing Beyonce quite early in her career, and you were even a gentleman with her as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I, yeah, I can say I saved Beyonce from her own airs <laughs> because she was having like hairs going on her mouth. And I just uh, said, Sorry, can can I take this out? And and yeah, she said you're a gentleman. And yes, I'm I'm used to it because I, that's what I've always done. Hosting TRL for uh, for quite a long time got me used to to meet big stars, and that has been like a, a wonderful period in my career because every week 
you used to be in company with Beyonce, with Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, 50 Cent, uh, The Oasis, and yeah, you, it was really fun. Yeah, I was talking, you know, we have a few Italians here in the office and everybody was like, they remember your time at TRL. You had this strong he's presence. Still alive. Yes. He's still alive. He's still alive. And he's going to host the, the biggest show ever. What's the relationship between Italians and, and Eurovision, Alessandro? Because I know Italy was out of Eurovision for a while, but now it's back in style, right? Yeah, I don't know who we have to thank uh, for that, but also in Italy, Eurovision, it's huge again after a period when I think they, they didn't even broadcast the show. But Eurovision, I think, got back in, in the last five, six, seven years, maybe more, maybe more actually. And now it's a big deal in Italy. I think from 2011, it's a really big thing. It's a huge thing once again in Italy. Tell us a bit more, Alessandro, for our perhaps listeners that don't know so much about your career. What, what's, what's been kind of your most special job, would you say, except Eurovision, you know, but would it be hosting X Factor, which was, you know, one of the highest rated TV shows in Italy? Yeah, I did a lot of that, which is similar to, to my MTV period. I mean, when, when I was like a musical event host, but in, in the last years, I've been focusing myself more on comedy, I have to say. I've got my own late night show for quite a long time. And I have now um, a Netflix series uh, going on, which is called One Simple Question, a series that, that I've written about pursuit of happiness. We call it like docu-series, which I don't think it exists as a, as a genre, but, but it's what it is. It's half a series, half a docu show, and most of it, I think it's a comedy show. And it's going really well, and that's what I'm focusing on mostly in the last years. I mean, writing stuff and produce my own things. And is it true in your show you had guests like Paolo Sorrentino as well, which I, I love him as well? Yeah, Paolo Sorrentino, uh, I had a, a nice walk with him, uh, talking about religion, uh, because he's, he's really a, a clever guy. You can talk with Paolo about pretty much everything and he has something clever to say about pretty much everything. So we, we talk about religion. I, I went to Roberto Baggio's house and I meditate with him and I talk about his retirement because he's in, in a world like this one where everyone is on stage, he decided to, to disappear in a way. And I talked with Gianluca Vialli, former uh, Chelsea player and manager, uh, which is struggling with, with a bad time right now. And we talked about happiness in pain, if you can find happiness in, in period of pain. Well, as I was saying, I, I like exploring new, new paths. That's beautiful. It's funny that you mentioned some football players there because you were part of a Champions League match as well, which is incredible. <laughs> Yeah, I had, I had one, one Champions League appearance. That's the thing I'm more proud of in my entire career. That two Champions League minutes, the last two minutes of a game that we already lost because we were 2 nail for the opposite team. But anyway, those two minutes are the things that, I, that I'm more proud of. I mean, that's brilliant. That's, you, you're definitely a man of many talents as well, not just kind of hosting Eurovision, which is a big deal, I have to say. 
And finally, Alessandro, I was just reading, is it true that, you know, you, you're telling me that you have plans for theater as well? Is that true for later this uh, year? Yeah, because I'm, I'm 40 now. And as I was saying, I've been doing my TV career for 20 years now. And I decided now to try different things. I think that's the right time to, to try to put myself in danger in a way and try things that I've never done before. And so next, next autumn, I will try my first live show. It will be a comedy show and it's pretty much my funeral. I'm writing it as, as my funeral. I mean, I like to see who's gonna come to my funeral. I like to see what will be the reaction to my, to my death. And that's the starting line to, to build up a, a comedy show. Alessandro, I wish you all the luck for Saturday. I'm definitely going to be watching you. I'm sure you're going to do a great job. And, yeah, thank you very much. I hope grazie, so. Grazie, grazie. Muito obrigado. Thanks for chatting. Muito obrigado. Grazie, Alessandro, and good luck tonight on Eurovision. That's it for this week's show. My thanks as ever for our editor, Nora Hall. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to email me, fernando, at fpmonaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at the same time. Meanwhile, we can always listen to it again at monaco.com or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you. It's Amanda Lear with Enigma. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. Give a bit of Give a bit of mmm